Our scripture passage this morning that Matt's going to speak on is really an extended uh, set of passages from Matthew or from Acts 27 and 28. Is Pat Daly here? There we go. Pat, Pat's going to come help me uh, read this together. So we're going to read that alternately as we we cover the story in Acts 27 and 28. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some of the other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force, called a Northeaster, swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. Then we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So... Keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. For the last 14 days, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and, as he put it on the fire... A viper, driven out of the heat, fastened itself on his hand. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. On the following day, we reached Puteoli. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. When we got to Rome... Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed amongst themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. 
The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn. And I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed, proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of God for his people this morning. Thanks be Thanks to be God. Right. Let's invite Matt to come up and share. Am I on? There we go. It's good to be back. Uh, it's been a couple years since we've been here, and uh, my wife and family are up in Speculator. Uh, my, we finally got together for the first time since Christmas, so talking them into a trip in the middle of vacation was really too hard for even me to convince. So um, I'm here representing them, but uh, Nikki and the kids uh, give their greetings, and I was just really blessed. I, I think uh, it was neat to see Sandy put together the, the worship. I think that was the biggest worship team I've seen in all the years of coming by, and it's really uh, a wonderful celebration. And, you know, as a missionary, I also am a worship leader. Finding mission songs is really hard. Finding songs that really are they're current and really moving, and I just was really blessed by those songs. So thank you for, for leading in that. As missionaries, we, <clears throat> what was kind of mentioned in the, the pastoral prayer, uh, we are supported by East Glenville Church um, for several years. We were in West Africa, and now we live in Eastern Europe. We've been there almost seven years. And it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever taken your kids or your grandkids to a parade, uh, but normally I can never get a good seat on a parade going by. So I remember we have four children. I would generally take my smallest and put them up on my shoulders and let them see what I can see from my perspective because they were just down here and they just couldn't see over the, the crowds. And in a way, um, we as missionaries get the privilege of being supported by all of you and other churches and prayer people that, that uphold us. You, you, we are basically on your shoulders, and we are seeing things that God is doing around the world from a perspective that maybe you don't get to see. It's, and, but we can't do it without people below us propping us up in prayer and in, in support. So I just want to say thanks for letting us see God's parade. He's doing an amazing... He, God is still working, even when we don't see it. Even the news doesn't see it. He's writing a story, and we're seeing some amazing things. So I'm going to share just... This is uh, actually my wife. And Caroline, could you bring my water? I forgot to grab that right in the pew there. Uh, this is Nikki. So for those who haven't met her yet, and we are on the Danube River. So once Americans are allowed to travel to Europe again freely, you're welcome to come and visit us. It's a beautiful city. Uh, the next photo is our family. For those who don't know, we have two. One graduating uh, college, Jake, our oldest, and then uh, Clarissa just finished college in May. She's going to grad school. And then we have two teenagers, Shane and Adelaide. So, you know, pray for that, because you know what I mean. 
teenagers. So, um, <laughs> no, I got great kids. They, lo they love Jesus and they occasionally love me. Um, so this is Clarissa at graduation. It was a real privilege to be with her and, uh, and Jake and have a nice time of celebration. Next slide there. Um, Nikki and I, we serve, I'm a board chairman of a Christian school, uh, ICSB, International Christian School, and um, a few people have asked how has COVID hit uh, Hungary. We had, our, we had our hardest time last March of this year. So when everything was going crazy, the, the previous March, this March was really the worst. And we actually lost a principal. We had 30 teachers sick or in the hospital. It was really crazy. Um, and I actually decided to send Nikki home to get immunized because she has a really uh, weakened uh, autoimmune. So uh, we're all, we all have shots now. We can go back and travel on planes. and um, Anyway, but pray for the school. Uh, it's, a, it's a great campus. The next slide is... I believe Nikki, yeah. What does Nikki do? I don't actually feature her that much in our mission letters, but she has an amazing ministry. She has a soul care center called the Garden House, and they bring in missionaries and, and national leaders from around Europe, and they do retreats, and uh, they talk about all kinds of things that help sustain them spiritually. And so she's part of a great team um, there with the soul care center. Um, what do we? What is our ministry overview? Well, you can read it, but I'll... Just highlight a couple things. We're with United World Mission. Some of you also probably know John and Melinda Bernard. They're they're my big boss. Uh, so they're with they're the president of our mission at the mothership. And we um, do I do mainly strategic partnerships, which is finding the right people and the right resource and connecting them. So we're trying to bring a whole new wave of missionary to Europe because right now God is working in major ways, and I'll share a little bit more about that. Um, but but it's, he's mainly working with people who have moved into Europe. And um, I'm working with another group called How Will They Hear? I'm coordinating. We have about 150 uh, ministries that we're trying to bring workers to and bring Bibles to and training. And we're sharing the gospel. We're raising up leaders. And we're showing the love of Christ um, in many different cities of Europe. So we live in Budapest. That's our home base. But really, I travel a lot. And pre-COVID, I was on the road at least half of the year I was traveling and doing ministry outside. And then I'm part of a couple other different networks that doesn't matter. They're really awesome, but I don't, I'll have time to share them later uh, with Luzon and other things. So next slide. Um, just a couple things. A little bit about refugees. When we generally hear news about refugees, it's usually bad. It's like scary it's overwhelming and i want to tell you it's a global thing god is moving people around the world all over not just in europe but in latin america with venezuela he's in myanmar and in asia people are moving all over the planet to the point that we have the highest number of refugees it's actually 82 million people have been displaced and of that 26 million are officially unhcr recognized um, asylum seekers who have been granted refugee status. So there's some terminology there, but 1% of the world is now displaced. Think about that. That's a pretty big mission field. Uh, and it is overwhelming if you think about it from a human perspective. But God has a redemptive plan in place, and we're going to watch the reruns in heaven someday. But let's, um, let's show the next slide. This is just where some of the global refugees are coming from. So 
Most of the countries sending out refugees are Syria, Venezuela, Afghanistan, South Sudan, and Myanmar. Okay? And we're at the 10-year mark of the, the Syrian civil war. It's still raging. There's still refugees. Even in the middle of COVID, people are fleeing, coming to Turkey. Not so much into Europe because it was really, I mean, it was a lockdown. And you couldn't even get your papers processed. Every government office was, we couldn't even, as American citizens, couldn't get our passports renewed. I mean, it was total, total lockdown. So it did slow down a bit, but it's still continuing. You can see the rise just in 1990. You guys were all around in 1990, most of you, except for maybe you kids. Uh, half of, we, we've doubled in just, you know, in a short amount of time to 80 million. Anyway, next one. So these are just the global hotspots, and most of, most of the refugees, we don't get a lot of people from Latin America, although I've run into Venezuelans in places of Europe, but we're mainly from cent Central Sub-Saharan Africa, North Africa, uh, Central Asia, and, uh, well, Afghanistan, Iran. Iran is the only one not listed on there, but it's really a lot of refugees, as you saw Saghar's story, are persecuted Christians. Uh, next one. So the COVID did, did impact us. It slowed a lot of things down, but even in the midst of that, 11.2 million people fled. Uh, so it's, it, 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 if you have the choice between catching a virus or, or having your family killed, you're going to choose safety, one of two evils. So um, anyway, next one. And then also, sadly, right in the middle of COVID crisis, we got news that the Lesvos Island um, the biggest refugee camp in Europe, in Greece, it's four miles from the coast of Turkey. They, that whole center that had close to 16,000 refugees burnt to the ground. Uh, I was there with a team, actually two families from Saratoga County joined us there on a short-term project, and we were on this site that completely burnt down. And uh, again, it's just really sad what's happening. Um, the vision with How Will They Hear? is that we want to raise up, as I shared, a new generation of, of missionaries. Primarily, we were thinking from the West and from Europe to enter into and serve alongside and disciple and share the gospel. But now, I have a co-worker. He's Egyptian. His wife is Irish. And they moved from Cairo to Belfast. And he's my key guy and speaks Arabic. And now we're actually mobilizing people from the Middle East to be missionaries. And some of these people were former Muslims themselves. So they're from Iran, they're from Afghanistan, they're from Syria. There's a team right now in Lesvos, in that place that just burnt down, all of the missionaries are Afghan believers. All of them, except for one German guy who, and his wife. Uh, and so God is raising up a new generation of missionaries out of migration. It's really powerful. So this is where I work. It's a little bit spread out and big. Obviously, I don't travel all those places, but the, the hot red spots are places where there's a lot of refugee concentration. So I spend a lot of time in Germany. I go to the Netherlands a lot, to Scandinavia, the UK, um, and then in the southern states of Greece, Spain, and Italy. Those are the major areas that I travel. Uh, next slide. These are the agencies that we're working with. Um, so you probably recognize a few of the names, AIM, SIM, UWM, um, and a bunch of others. This is one picture of a family that moved just, we helped to mobilize them. They were Egyptian. They lived in Budapest. I met them in Greece. 
found out they were neighbors of mine and living in Budapest, and we just helped raise support for them to be fully supported missionaries. They're not quite fully supported yet, but they are living in Leipzig, Germany, a very secular part of East Germany, and we had a chance to do some outreach with them. I think the next slide captures that. Um, we did a training there where there was uh, 30 people. All of our missionaries were former refugees. So I'll just tell a couple stories. The guy here on the left, Muyasser, he's from Syria. He actually literally walked all the way from Syria, walked through Turkey, took a boat, took, came through. He says when he got into to Greece, his, his feet were so swollen and his feet had gotten wet and then dried and wet and dried. When he took his shoes off, it said he peeled off the bottom sole of his foot. And he had to stay in a hospital for a while, just recover. When he finally made it to Germany, Muyasser said that he was in a, a refugee camp getting processed. A missionary came up to him and, said, and heard his story and said, I just want to pray for you. I want to pray that God will heal you. And he actually, could I, could I lift up your feet? And he, this missionary lifted up Muyasser's feet and he prayed God's blessing on him. And he shared the gospel. And that's the first time he had ever heard the gospel. A few months later, my friend Peter, who lives in Ireland now, the Egyptian, shared the gospel again. He became a believer. And then later on, as he was reading scripture, he read in Romans 10, blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. And Muyasser, I did ministry with this guy. He's one of our key leaders. He's a Muslim background believer who loves, loves Jesus. And he's planted three churches, He's, he's on fire. And Luna, she's from Jordan. Michael is also from Egypt. This is the face of the new missionary for Europe. Crazy, isn't it? God is using the mouth of the foreigner, the people we wouldn't suspect, to tell the same story, but also tell it with how God rescued them from major, major uh, persecution. So this is another group of Iranians. All of them are from Iran. And they're at the, they were outreach team with us. The guy on the right, uh, Merdad, was a pastor at one of those secret churches that got He was arrested and put in jail for four years. This guy has two little girls. Finally got left out, and they, the, the little church gathered their money together and got documents somehow for him and got him to go to Germany. So Merdad and his family live in Germany, he, and we just asked him to be the coordinator for our Farsi ministry. So that's why I was excited to show you that video. God is doing an amazing thing in Iran. Now, when do you hear about Iran in the news? It's always bad, right? Well, it's because it's horrible there. The new president is more strict than any president they've ever had, and he's going to come down hard on the Christian community. So you guys need to know when you see or hear news about Iran, you need to know two things. People that live and work in that country estimate there's close to 20% of the country are secretly following Jesus. 20%. So one out of five people fleeing, or more, fleeing as refugees are believers. They're our brothers and sisters, like Merdan, like Saghar. So when you see Iran and you hear a story, remember, oh, I've got to pray for the church of Iran. I've got to pray for the Merdads, for the Saghars. It's they're fleeing because of Jesus. That's why. So, next slide. 
And this was just an outreach. We have several outreaches planned. This was the end of June, early July. The next one, I want to give you an update. We planned it in the middle of COVID. We said, by faith, let's plan outreach. We don't know if we can even do it, but let's put some things on the calendar. And um, yeah, the next slide would be great. So this is, we're in August, almost August. Right now we have a team in Greece. So you can pray for the outreach going on in Greece with, there's nine people from four different countries. Farsi speakers, Arab speakers, German speakers, Greek Christians, they're all doing outreach. And then the next one will be in Almeria, Spain. So, yeah. Um, and then we're bringing Bibles and discipleship tools to these churches that have refugee Christians in their church. Um, yeah. And a couple more things. And then I'll probably close with this just for the sake of time. We, uh, through Peter, my Arabic-speaking coworker. He said, you know, the, the church is scattered, and we don't know when they're going to be regathered, but let's start training people now for leadership and evangelism and discipleship. So in February of 2020, the middle of, beginning of COVID, we, he launched this online discipleship. There was 80 people, all Muslim background people who follow Jesus, every single Saturday night would learn about something about the gospel, about how to share the gospel, about how to make disciples, about, and they're from Syria, Afghanistan, all these different countries, right? We, and it was a three-month course. They finished with 60, which is a pretty good, I don't even think some of our discipleship groups have that, <laughs> they tend to peter off, but we fi finished with 60 people. They did research and read the scriptures. They did a project, and now half of those people have the documents that they can actually do these outreaches, so we're actually giving them hands-on you know, exposure to say not just know the gospel, but share it. And I, I led one of the Saturday evenings and talked about what is a disciple and how do you make disciples. My, I still remember these four guys that were sitting in a refugee camp on the island of Samos, probably very similar to some of the islands that, that Paul just was shipwrecked on. They're reading. They have a little smartphone with all their faces, and they're sitting there on this makeshift bed, and they're just devouring the word of God and, it, and I was in a breakout room with them and they said everything that you said today about making disciples we're gonna as soon as we hang up we're gonna go do it <laughs> I said yes that's the kind of student I want in my Bible studies and uh, it just it's, it's amazing just the the hunger when you see these people and they've seen and and th this gal who is a mother we're doing Bible study she's reading in Arabic and there's three kids running behind her all the time and I was just, you know, some of us might get distracted by that. And I was like, all these kids are going to hear about Jesus because their mom decided to follow him. Um, so, yeah, just we have a big conference. You can pray for that. I'm planning a Europe-wide conference for the last five years. This next one is, Lord willing, February of 2021. Um, and you can just pray because who knows, you know, what wave will go by. But we hope that we can have uh, a safe conference with maybe 200 people that we're just trying to figure out if that's logistically and realistic um, but I'm, I'm hopeful um, and I think I'm going to close there with the slides just because of time and want to get to the word uh, but as you can see God is still working in the midst of all this um, God is doing things he's he's this is the most amazing time to be a missionary in Europe 
I used to actually never wanted to go to Europe because it seemed so sleepy and dead. <laughs> now it's awake and alive and this movement of people. It's just really, really powerful. So um, let, I just want to pray as we get into the word. And um, we're going to kind of camp out on one particular passage of scripture. But if you want to kind of keep your finger in Acts 27, 28, I'm going to reference a few things. But today's message is just really one scripture because we, you heard the whole story, the background. So you got the backstory. I'm going to talk about what Acts says to us today on mission with God, but also reference a few things of how this applies to what I'm seeing in Europe. So let's, um, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the chance to give an update and to share what you are doing. It is amazing. It's humbling. It's inspiring. It's, um, yeah, just it's only you can get credit for that. And Lord, as we look into your word and we look into our own life, I pray that your spirit would speak things to us that only you can speak, that you will give us your perspective on the challenges that we face, that the resistance that we encounter, uh, Lord, the walls that are before us, that you will help us to, to live the same way Paul did, unhindered, empowered by your spirit uh, to proclaim boldly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Hopefully some of you have read our prayer letters. I get some of my inspiration from Paul. When I read his letters, I'm like, wow, I wish I could <laughs> say some of those stories. Um, I've never been bit by a poisonous snake, but I have, and some of you might remember this from our time in Africa, we did find that there was um, a cobra had laid eggs in our, somewhere in our house, and we had baby cobras in our house. So that, so that happened. I mean, uh, that was an interest. I got a lot of comments on that prayer letter, <laughs> but... Um, but I think what's, what's amazing, uh, Acts 28, 31, it says this. And he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, do you just remember the passage that Pastor Mitch and what was the other guy's name? Pat read? Without hindrance. What are you talking about? Okay, he, he went from a harrowing voyage, lost at sea, shipwrecked on an island, bit by a venomous viper. Um, okay, yes, he did get a tranquil voyage from Malta to the coast of Italy and went from what's now Naples area. He had a, a five-hour journey probably, or five-day journey up to Rome. But... It wasn't a smooth sail. So it's just interesting to me that the book of Acts, after all of the stories of the gospel and, and the movement of the spirit to plant the church, ends with, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I'm sorry, when I read the book of Acts, I see a lot of hindrance. <laughs> I see a lot of obstacles. I just read, that's why we read the backstory of chapter 27, 28. All it was was hindrance. All it was was, I mean, nor'easters. I've been through a lot of nor'easters. They're scary. But against all odds, it says that Paul, he says, we got to Rome. And when we got to Rome, I think this thing fell off. So I'm going to stay here. And my, I have really small ears. I'm just going to leave it. I'm going to stay right here. <laughs> 
Um, it's interesting. Why did the gospel writer Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts, end both of his books with such a, a dismal ending, very sort of somber uh, the church at this point of history is looking very hindered. Paul is chained to a guard. He's on house arrest. He's bouncing from court to court. He got shipwrecked. He is, yes, he made it to Rome. But he probably didn't make it how he thought he would make it to Rome. He had a vision. The Lord said, you're going to, the angel said, you're going to make it to Caesar. Like, you will get there. It's God's call. You're going to make it. But I wonder if he thought he was going to be shackled to a centurion the whole time, living under house arrest. I wonder if he was going to write the book of Ephesians in a prison cell. I wonder if he knew that was part of the story. So very few preachers actually preach from the, the last third of the book of Acts because it ends so anticlimactically. It's kind of like, okay then, well... Love Jesus and hope it works. You know, it's scary. It doesn't, it, it, it's, and that's what I love about Luke is he doesn't hold back some of the, the disappointments and the challenges and the despair of our calling as his disciples. He includes everything from the disciples getting scattered during the passion and the arrest of Jesus to, and the denial of, of Jesus and all of the, the suffering of the cross and all of that, the, the, the women in total despair, going to, the, to, to lay the tomb. I mean, it's bleak, 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 dark as dark can be. And then light breaks through. And then resurrection. And then. And I think there's a, it's not just a stylistic literary thing that Luke is doing to sort of make drama and then resolution. I really believe that this is kind of how God works. This is how God works. He is the only, he is a God that can take us at the darkest moment. And when we've given up all hope, like they did on that ship, we're going to go down. We are going down. We're, we haven't eaten tw two weeks. We've thrown everything overboard. This ship is sinking. And then the dream. Not one of you is going to perish. All 276. Not one. Yes, the ship is going to be blown into bits, but you are going to make it alive. Okay, that is the, that's the tension that the God is putting, putting us through on a personal level and as a corporate church level. We have gone through a really intense storm. 2021 and 2020 was probably the, one of the most challenging things to weather, and we're not even through this storm yet. And so I want to kind of apply this to our own lives, to our own ministries, because if we don't have this, this resurrection mindset, or as one uh, preacher called it, a holy imagination, to see beyond the circumstances of our world and our life, to, to know that God always works through the darkest of night and then rises again. That is the hope that will sustain us personally and the church to stay on mission, no matter what happens in our workaday world, in our friendships, in our family. Uh, there is a war. We are in a, a spiritual battle, but we know the end of that battle, and we are not fighting that battle alone. 
So I just want to share just a few things. Um, to me, it was just, it's really, really powerful. How does the church emerge from this intense period of lockdowns and resistance to the gospel? The biblical invitation is not this. It's not to find the grit and the stamina and the resilience to weather the storm. That's not the message for today. That's not the message of scripture. The message of today, what I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to you and to me is to open our eyes, to see even when I don't see it, you're working. The gospel is unhindered. I am unleashed. Nothing stops my kingdom from advancing. The gates of hell can't stop it. No, nothing locks me down. And I was, I'll be honest, in the beginning of COVID, I showed you the map of where I travel. I showed you the possibilities of what's happening. Right at the peak of everything was like moving and momentum, and then all of a sudden, it couldn't go anywhere. I was, I'll, I'll be honest, I was depressed. I was like, ugh taking the wind out of my sails, Lord, we're just getting going and I can't do anything. And there was about two months where I was kind of in a funk. I was just, I, I love to write in that prayer letter that, and I never doubted God and it was just, no, I was like, Lord, what are you doing? Why is this breaking down? Why, why can't, why is the gospel so hindered right now? And by the end of 2020, uh, my, our family finally were able, were able to reunite for the holidays. And my wife, Nikki, she loves family kind of, uh, not crafts, but she does these activities that I love, and they're really creative. But she w said she made these bracelets, and we had to take a, a, pe a metal and a hammer and chisel in a, a word that would be kind of like our word for 2021. And then you wore it as a, as a bracelet. Now, I'm not a bracelet guy but I did make one. Um, and the word that the Lord gave me in December of this year, of last year, was unhindered. Unhindered. Actually, un unleashed or unhindered? It was one of those. Um, I think it was unleashed, actually, because unhindered was really long. Um, but it was the same concept. I, I felt leashed. I felt like I couldn't really be and do what God wanted me to do. I was, I was frustrated. I was... Uh, at times, uh, grumpy, and um, not doubt. I wasn't trusting God in the midst of the hindrances. And then I heard a message on this passage from a pastor in Portland, Oregon, and I was just like, "Wow, that's my verse for the for the word God gave me." And I put that on my list to say, "I want to share what God's been teaching me about living unhindered." And then pastor says, "I really like that title. Let's go with that one." So. You're hearing unhindered for the first time, and it's a product of the process that I have been in as a missionary. I want to challenge you guys um, that in the events of our ordinary lives, we should expect resurrection to be the theme that runs through every moment. We should always expect God to take the darkest moments and advance his kingdom. Resurrection is not just an Easter story. It's not just a thing that we talk about at communion. The resurrection life is what we have been brought into through the power of the risen Savior. You experience resurrection life. As soon as the lights turn on and you're like, wow, Jesus didn't die for the sins of the world. He died for me. That's me. 
And when he died and rose again, I rose with him. I have his life. I have his power. I have access to God. I am living the resurrection life. And I think a lot of times we make faith and resurrection related to salvation alone. We don't let it trickle into the challenges and everyday things of our life. We probably, I don't know about you, but how many of you have family members who you think there is no way this person would ever come to the gospel? They're just so hard. They're so resistant. I had a sister, Sarah, my, young, my youngest, uh, youngest in the family, five years younger. She married an Iranian guy who was not even a believer. And we reached out to her, and we tried to share the gospel with her. Well, it took a divorce and a lot, long series of circumstances to break down some of the walls. Sarah, uh, seven years ago, calls me up and says, Matt, I want you to know um, I got saved. And I said, How? What happened? And she told me the story. And I'm sitting across, a year later, uh, or six months later, I'm sitting across the table, and I'm seeing my sister for the first time. I'm like, this is who God made you to be. You are my sister. I ne we never had that communion. We never had that fellowship because she was always, well, she had the blinders on. And I said to her, did you, try to, did you see me reaching out to you, being you know, your missionary brother? Did you see me praying for you? She said, oh, yeah, I saw you. But she says, Matt, that only God could break through that wall. Only God. I said, but she says, you, you did pray for me though, right? I said, yep, I did. <laughs> that's, that's our part. So you may have someone that you think, ah, even though I don't see him working, I am not going to stop praying for you. I'm going to not stop bringing God into the conversation at appropriate times. I'm not going to stop loving you, even if you completely slam the door in my face. I'm going to trust in a, I'm in a holy imagination. I'm going to actually picture you as if you were you're saved. What would that person look like if they were saved? Now, some of us might think, man, I really wish my neighbors were, I had some holy imagination with them or my coworkers. Just start thinking. God, God is no, there's no person beyond the grace of God. It's us often that limit and, and limit God's uh, working power. Some of you um, know our story in, in uh, Africa, and I'll give you the quick sub, sub story. This was 2013 uh, to 14. That was a year, I call it my dog year because it felt like seven years in one year. Um, and actually almost every year in Africa was a dog year, but... Um, this particular year, it started with me catching my son out of a mango tree, and it tore my arm down, my 10-year-old, and it pulled out my, my bicep tendon, which was very painful. I don't recommend it. And as I watched my, my muscle go up my arm, I thought, this is bad. I'm in Africa. And anyway, long story short, I got this surgery that repaired the tendon, but then left my arm paralyzed. And I'm a lefty, so I'm like, okay, I'm a... I'm a paralytic with my strong arm. I'm living in Africa. Then my wife gets sick. She got typhoid, malaria, E. coli, and then something unknown that to this day is still, this morning she woke up and feels it. So chronic illness. We've, we've never had anything chronic in our lives, ever. Chronic pain and fatigue and then 
We tried to celebrate my son's 10-year birthday. We were in a pool in the midst of all this chaos. I go to, or Nikki goes to pick up a birthday gift, and a, a literal bus full with Africans hits the back of our vehicle and blows it up, and she, anyway, d- demolishes the car with my daughter in the middle seat. I'm on the phone getting the message from her. I, I'm okay. And it just like, the world just slows down. Anyway, so the car is demolished. We, the, two weeks later, tried to take a vacation. While we were on vacation, a guy breaks into our condo and steals everything. <laughs> so this was 2013. It wasn't even over yet. So I was starting to like feel really guilty in my prayer letters. Like, one, people aren't going to believe me. Two, they're thinking I'm just going for sympathy and more money. Uh, I'm just going to leave out some details and like, you know, but we were really hurting. Now, it, we had people, loving people that said, Matt, maybe, maybe you guys should come home. Maybe it's just getting too hard. Maybe, you know, this is a sign that it's time to sort of close up shop there and move to a little bit safer location. Then I had African pastors saying, Matt, it's so amazing that you're trusting God through this, this, this suffering for Jesus. We encounter this all the time. And I really respect you being in the center of God's will and not giving up, staying faithful. So I have two, two messages, pain and suffering. You, you're not in God's will. Pain and suffering, you are in God's will. What side's going to win? Well, we decided that we're going to stay in Africa and endure the suffering. That's part of the call. It deepened our walk with God. It prepared us for what I'm doing now with refugees who've lost everything. I can enter into their pain and realize it's not the end of the story. God is the God of the resurrection. I have a holy imagination that says, I don't see how he's going to work through this. I'm not your Jesus, but I know the real one. He can rescue you. When I was in Lesvos, sharing the gospel from tent to tent with refugees, I just told stories of Jesus in the boat. They had just crossed from Turkey, hair-raising stories. I have a life jacket here in Boston Lake from the life jacket uh, graveyard. I think I brought it two years ago when I was here. People risked their lives to get to that point. And all I could tell was, okay, I'd, I've, never been through your, I've never been through your situation, but I've been in a boat of suffering. I, and Jesus is in the boat. Now, he may seem like he's sleeping, but Jesus calms the storm. Jesus is in the boat. Jesus calms the storm. Another boat story, Jesus walks on the water. Those stories buoyed me through my storm, and I use those stories in the life of refugees. I just want to close. I'm sharing this with you guys um, this morning that very few times in our history, I think, have we been called to live out the gospel like we have today. You, we have family members, we have friends, we have coworkers, and we have neighbors who have gone through, through some significant storms. People have lost loved ones early in life. People have lost jobs who were on the, the track, upward and to the right. They, were, they saw a progression of their career, and now it's... Family members are fragmented over all kinds of issues. It's crazy. And Nikki and I even commented, isn't it weird when we come home to the States how chatty people are? Like strangers are talking to us. 
And it, there's such a loneliness. People are just so cooped up. They're like talking. I'm, I'm, I'm personable. I love it. My, my wife is an introvert. She's like, that's weird. Um, <laughs> but I'm saying we are at a critical moment, church, when people are looking for authentic faith in a storm. And it's not going to be uh, a pat on the back and, you know, brighter days are coming. That's not the resurrection story. The resurrection story is Jesus is alive. And the only reason I am alive is because he's alive. And I just wanted to close with that as we prepare for communion. Take that message where God has sent you. It is transformative.